If you have your Bible today, please open with me to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we will begin reading in verse 9 in just a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9, I titled my sermon today, Two Are Better Than One. And, um, you know, one of the misconceptions about the Bible is that it's filled with all kinds of of counsel and, and moral teachings, and it does contain that. But what many people think is that it has all this stuff, but it's, uh, it's ultimately out of touch with reality. Many people think that it's, it's a pie in the sky, it's impractical, and it doesn't really apply to us in the 21st century, it doesn't have anything to say to us. It is outdated. But I want to tell you that the Bible is timeless, and yet it is timely. It's, it's, as, it's as practical and timely today as reading the morning paper. It is, it is up to date. And it speaks to right where we are here in the 21st century. It speaks to our human condition. Now, where we pick up in the text today, uh, we're jumping into a book written by the wisest man who ever lived, apart from the Lord Jesus himself, and that is Wise King Solomon. And of course, you know about Solomon. He, was, he wrote uh, much of the book of Proverbs. He was incredibly intelligent. He was wise. And in his pursuit of wisdom, uh, one of the things that he did was he observed a whole lot. He kept his eyes open, and, and he, he looked at the way things operate. He looked at the world around him, and he compiled a whole, whole list of, uh, a whole uh, volume of information. And part of what he did was he didn't just observe and see what was going on around him, but he also threw himself into different modes of life to try and, and, um, and, and find the wisdom in each of those things. And so, for instance, he sought for joy and pleasure in fulfilling his fleshly appetites. And so he, he tried that and discovered that it was all pointless. It was futile. It, the word he uses is vanity. He says it's like striving after the wind. And he says that much of life is like that. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the work that we do, a lot, of, uh, a lot of the evil and oppression in this world, it's all vanity. It's evil. It's a, it's a grievous thing. And so he compiles all this stuff. And if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, at least when I do, I get kind of depressed yeah, that, that's a good word for it. Not exactly depressed. I just get kind of pessimistic. Does anybody else get like that? I mean, when I read through it, if I, if I start at the beginning and read through the end, I, I come out and I'm, I feel almost kind of sour because a lot of what he talks about is just what we see around us. And he says all this stuff that we see, all this stuff that we experience, much of it is vanity. It's like trying to catch the wind. And so he talks about all these things that are done under the sun. And that's kind of like this phrase that he uses to talk about all these things that are done apart from God. And so he says all this work that we do, all these different activities that we do under the sun apart from God, it's all vanity. And so it's pointless, it's meaningless, and I don't mean to get everybody down, okay? Because he talks about all this stuff that's pointless, it's vanity, and, and, and things like that. Uh, so, so for instance, he talks about work. Now all of us either do work or, or used to work or something like that. And he says the man who, who labors, for instance, and he gets up early... He stays up late, he's working his, heart, his fingers to the bone, he's, he's amassing all this wealth and he's not satisfied with it, he's doing all this stuff. And Solomon says, what for? Because he can't take it with him. And he's going to leave it to somebody who may or may not be wise in how they steward what is left to him. And he says, that's all vanity. Therefore, Solomon says, it's better to enjoy your labor, it's better to enjoy your, your spouse and your family, because those things are the gift of God. And so this is a very practical book. And I say all that to say this. He talks about all this stuff that we experience that's vanity, but he talks about friendship in there, and he says that is not vain. That is not futile. In fact, he, he lifts up and holds up friendship. And that's what we're going to look at today. 
we're going to look at friends, the value of friends. Now, on one hand, that may not seem very spiritual. Because when we think about coming to church, we think about sin and, and judgment, all these things, and that is wrapped up in it. But listen, friendship is a spiritual matter. And you know, if you've been in a difficult time, that friends, there, there's a spiritual aspect there, right? Because those friends can help you, can support you in those difficult times. And so sometimes it's that way. Sometimes, have you ever had a friend that maybe you're straying kind of from the straight and narrow, and you had a, a loving friend who came along and gave you a loving kick in the pants and said, you know what, you're, you're going off base. You need to get back where you're supposed to be. Friends are important. And so uh, what we're going to look at today is, is, uh, is, is friendship and the value of friends. Now, one of the places that we should have the best friends is the body of Christ. Now, it's, it's not enough just to have friends. You can have good friends and you can have bad friends, but we need to have friendship in the body of Christ. And the Bible, especially the New Testament, talks about friendship, but doesn't always use that term. So one of the things that it will talk about is fellowship. Now, fellowship includes friendship. It's not restricted to friendship, but it encompasses that. Another word that it uses in the New Testament that includes friendship is unity and the unity that should be had in the body of Christ. And so, so these are, are, are things the Bible speaks about, and so we are going to look at that today. So if you found Ecclesiastes 4 and are able, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word. We'll pick up in verse 9 and read down to verse 12. <clears throat> Solomon says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, even though this is a short passage, there are a few things I want to draw uh, your attention to. The first is in verse 9. And that is that two are better than one when it comes to work. When it comes to work, if you look again at verse 9, he says that two are better than one because they have a better return for their labor. Now, depending on your, on your personality or on your temperament, some of us need to be around others whenever we work. And not just, not just work. Some of us thrive off of being around other people. And if we are alone, it makes us real uncomfortable. Now... Who is like that? Just raise your hand. Okay, two, three people. That doesn't surprise anybody in here. There are a few people in, in this congregation, but there are a lot of people in the world who need to be around others to, to be happy, to be fulfilled. Others of us would rather not be around people, especially when we work. Just raise your hand if you're like that. A whole bunch of us, right? Now, again, that doesn't surprise probably anybody here. Some of us... Um, just don't, it's not that we dislike people, it's just we don't like being around them, right? I mean, and, and I, I, I'm kind of that way. It's not, I'm, I'm an introvert. And so my job is really perfect for me because I can work from home uh, part of the week. And when I do that, most of the time, Scarlett and the kids are at, at work and school, and I'm in the house all by myself. And then when I go into the office, because the people that work in that office uh, they work from home, and so I go in there, and I'm, a, I'm by myself when I'm in office too, and it's great. And I'll go into the office or I'll sit at the house, and I may go for eight hours and not say a word. 
And it's glorious. I'm, and I mean, it's, and I know that sounds terrible, but that's, that's really the way it is. So when, when he says that two are better than one, and he applies this to work, is he only talking about the extroverts in society? And this isn't a word for introverts. No, that's not what he's saying. He, he, this is a, a general principle that when people work together, they tend to accomplish more or do it more efficiently. Now, again, I'm not talking about, you know, there are sometimes we get around people that they won't leave us alone so we can work. They just keep talking and talking and talking. And, they, and you can't work, and you know they're not doing any work because they're standing there talking to you. That's not what I'm talking about. If you've worked on things, you know that there are times when you run into a problem, and it doesn't have to be your job. It, it can be any project you're working on. Maybe it's something at the house. Maybe it's uh, some other project, but you're working on it, and you come across a problem, and you're like, I'm not sure the best course of action to take. I don't know how to figure this out. I don't know how to accomplish my ends. And so you study on it, and you think about it, and you try and work it out in your mind. And you come up with a, a, a course of action. But let's say you have that other person there, and you say, hey, here's what, here's what I'm facing. Here's what I'm thinking about. What do you think? Have you ever had times whenever they've been like, well, here's what I'd do. And you're like, oh, why didn't I think of that? That's what he's talking about. And we've all had times whenever that person's not there, we implement solution X, whatever solution X is. It doesn't work out the way that we thought. And then we have to go back and redo it. We talk to somebody a little bit later, and they're like, oh, yeah, I ran into that problem you know, back in 1994. Here's how I fixed it. Here's what you should have done. And it's like, well, why didn't you? I wish you were here three hours ago. And it could have saved me a whole bunch of trouble. That's what he's talking about. He says, he says two are better than one when it comes to work. He goes on to say, and here's the second thing, two are better than one when it comes to difficulties. Two are better than one when it comes to difficulties. Look at the rest of verse 9. Or sorry, verse 10. So two are better than one when it, because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. So Solomon highlights this. But, but if you'll notice, he actually makes this... This, uh, this difficulty and stuff, he actually makes that a subset of labor, of work. Because you'll notice it says in verse 10, Woe to the one who falls. He says, For, and for the, the, the transition there is, is when you're working, if you fall, I'm, I'm, I'm messing that all up. Anyway, he makes it a subset of, of, of the labor. And, and he's not talking about tripping and falling down. Now, sometimes, you know, sometimes we may fall. I'm, I'm terrible about, you know, used to. If I was in the floor, I could spring back up. But now, it takes me a minute, right? I, gotta, I, gotta, I can't just spring up. I've got to change positions two or three times and grab hold of a chair or a wall or something like that. He's not talking about somebody that's fallen and can't get up physically. I mean, that's, that's handy to have somebody to give you a hand, but that's not what he's speaking about. Because the word fall in the original language has a wide range of, of meanings, of applications. And, and he's talking about calamity when it strikes. Times when evil befalls us, so to speak. And when hard times come, that's when they say you find out who what? Who your real friends are. Why? Because when the hard times come, when the calamity strikes, there are certain people that you can count on. There are certain people whenever the, the bad times come that they're there for you. There are certain people, whenever the bad times come, that support you. 
that uplift you. That as, as he says, that, that, that lift you up. There are other people who you would never, ever, ever think about calling whenever bad times happen. Why? Because you know that they're not going to be that reliable person in your life. Now, you want those people in your life, and you should strive to be those kinds of people, that, that, that kind of person in somebody's life that whenever they have a problem, they can count on you. That pick us up when we fall. So he says two are better than one when it comes to work. Two are better than one when it comes to comfort. Third, or, or, or when calamities, difficulties come. Third, he says that two are better than one when it comes to comfort. Now Solomon switches pictures here. Because up to this point he's used the, uh, the, the picture and the language of work. But here he, he moves to uh, the picture of traveling. And if you'll notice, he gives a very specific example of a very broad principle. And the, and the specific example he uses is people that are traveling needing to stay warm. And, and he talks about uh, two or better than one when it comes to comfort. So, so even in the desert regions, at nighttime, it can get pretty cold. And the picture here is somebody who's traveling and they have to sleep out in the open air. They can't, you know, Tom Bodette may have left the light on, but they ain't around the Hotel Six. They're, they're out there in the open, and they've got to, they've got to sleep out on the ground, out in the, out in the open air where it's cold. And he says that, that two people, if they lie near each other, their body heat will keep, each other, keep the other one warm. And at the very least, if they're near each other, you've got two blankets instead of one. Now, as I said, this is a very specific example of a very general truth. He's not just talking about, you know, used to, Scarlett used to say that I was like a furnace. And sometimes she put her icy feet on me at bedtime. And she'd steal my heat. Now, he's not just talking about that. He, he's talking about a very general truth. And, that, and it's very similar to this, this idea of when, when other people, when somebody falls, we pick them up. He goes on. Beyond that, because that has the idea more of sustaining, and this has the idea more with comforting. And we looked at this two weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend, um, I'm not going to really spend much time here. But we all know the bad times come in life. Hard times happen, affliction comes. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God will comfort the afflicted, comfort us in all our affliction. And the way that he does that many times is through other believers. And he comforts us, we should comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted. Now, like I said, we just talked about this, so I'm not going to, we're going to move on. Number four, he says that two are better than one when it comes to defense. When it comes to defense. Look at, uh, look at verse 12. And if one can overpower him, or if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. Two can resist him. Now, back then, travel was a dangerous matter. They didn't have interstates like we do. They certainly didn't have cars that went 70 mile an hour. And so it wasn't dangerous in the sense that, you know, you weren't going to have a wreck like you might today. But it was dangerous because they walked a lot of places. If you were going from point A to point B, um, you, you, usually you rode a, a, an animal or you walked. And so in, in different places, different roads and different places in certain roads, there would be kind of a, a, a natural 
uh, kind of a, a squeezing together where, where maybe there wasn't a whole lot of room and you're kind of compacted in there. Maybe there were rock outcroppings and stuff like that that bandits could hide behind. And they, there, there were certain places it was not safe to, to travel by yourself because people would jump out and, and attack you and, and rob you. And you think about the Good Samaritan, the, the compassionate Samaritan that Jesus told about. That was an example drawn from their daily life. The road from Jerusalem down to Jericho was a dangerous place. There were certain places where bandits would hide and attack people. And so what he says here is that, that we need to, that, that two are better than one when it comes to defense. Now, most likely, you're not walking from point A to point B from going from one town to another. You're not doing that today. But even, even so, you know that there are certain times, certain places that it's safer for you to go with somebody else too. Maybe you've been, have you ever, one time we went driving through St. Louis and we were trying to get to a place and we were following Google Maps. I'm not a city driver. And so I, the, the lady on Google Maps said to turn here, but I turned there. And I didn't end up where she said I'd end up because I didn't go where she said to turn. And I ended up in a bad part of town. I was driving along and it, it, wasn't, it just was not a good situation. And you've all been in those places. Maybe, maybe it's a, a part of town that you're driving through. Maybe it's a part of town that you're walking through. Sometimes it's parking lots. Sometimes people get escorted to their car because it is not safe out, out in the world sometimes. Listen, we need a companion at times. We need somebody that will have our backs. We need somebody to, to, to help us. And while... There are certain times that, that we may physically be in danger and need that defense. Much more likely uh, is, is sometimes we might have a friend and somebody is tearing them down. And I'm not talking about like, well, you know what tear down means. They're, they're talking bad about them. They're gossiping about them. They're, they're slandering that person. They're lying about them. And, and we need to stick up and stand up for our friends. I once had a, a person tell me, uh, I, was, I was at this uh, specific situation, and this, this person came up to me, uh, like the next week, and said, did you hear about such and such, and began to tell me these things that supposedly happened? Well, I was there, and what I was being told wasn't what happened. And I was told the whole situation, and I said, well, I don't know where you got your information from, but that's not what happened, and I, I said it straight. Now listen, you don't have to be a jerk about things, but, but you, you need to stand up for your friends. Two are better than one when it comes to defense. We all need that person. They say that a, 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 a fake friend talks good about you to your face and bad about you behind your back. But a good friend talks bad about you to your face and good about you behind your back. And we need those good friends to talk good about us behind our back even if they're terrible to our face. Finally, he says at the very end, if you look at, uh, at verse 12, he concludes by saying that two are good, but three are better. He talks about a, a three-chord band, a, a rope. And you know a braided rope, that's strong. You can take those, those strands and unbraid them or untwist them, and individually you can break those three. But you get them together... And the strength goes up exponentially. And, and so what he says is that you have, more, you have more support, there's a lot more strength. 
Two is good. Three are better. Now, there's a lot more that can be said about this, about considering the character of your friends, because we shouldn't just have anybody as our, as our close friend. The Bible says that, that, uh, that the bad company corrupts good morals, that we shouldn't be friends with a, a person that's given to anger and, and so forth. But in the interest of time, I just want to focus on this passage. So what is this telling us? Besides these, besides these five things, just big picture, okay? Big picture. First, this tells us we are interdependent, not independent. We are interdependent, not independent. Now those two words sound very similar, but they have kind of opposite meanings. Because to be interdependent means that we need somebody else, that we count on somebody else. We rely on someone else. We can't do it on our own. And to be independent means that we count just on number one. It means that we fly solo. And listen, you cannot do that in life. You cannot be, you are not independent. Now somebody would say, Pastor, you don't understand. I tried to be interdependent, and it blew up in my face. And it, it, I end up getting hurt. This happened, that happened. I ain't doing it again. You don't understand. But listen, are people going to let you down? Guaranteed, yes. But I'm going to tell you a little secret. You have let somebody else down. See, we want to we want to focus on oh well somebody did this to me. What about that time that you let somebody else down? What about that time when you didn't come through? Sometimes we do it, and sometimes people do it to us, and we don't even realize it. It's going to happen, and that's why forgiving, bearing with one another, and so forth, is important for friendship, especially in a church, because people are going to let you down, and you're going to let people down. Bearing with one another and forgiving, it's, it's, it's essential to being a friend, to having friends, and keeping friends. So we are interdependent, not independent. Another big picture idea applies specifically to our faith is you cannot fully live out your Christian life on your own or by yourself. You cannot fully live out the Christian life on your own or by yourself. Sometimes we talk about the Lone Ranger Christianity. Of course, that's a misnomer because he's the Lone Ranger, but he still had Tonto. I mean, we, there's, you just can't do it. We are not made, we are not created to do it on our own. We are created for a community, for a fellowship. We are part of the body of Christ. And we need the rest of the body, and the rest of the body needs us. Because each part, and this is one of the things sometimes people talk about, oh, well, I don't go to church because I don't get anything out of it. It's not all about what you get. It's about what you give, too. Because the body, is, the body of Christ is like the, the human body. There are certain parts that contribute certain things, and they don't contribute other things, but they gain from those other things. So like in the body, not everything's the eye, and not everything's the ear. You need both of those things to get a full picture of what's going on around you, and if you don't have one of those things, your, your body's lacking. And it's like that in the body of Christ. You may be the eye, but you need the ear. And the ear needs the eye. We're all interdependent. We're all counting on one another. And if you don't, if, if you don't contribute that, that other person's missing out. And, and you're missing out if, if, if you're not contributing and being a part of that. In short, we need each other. 
there's an ancient Jewish writing that said, a man without a companion is like the left hand without the right. And I thought that was well put. We need another. Now, I, I once heard, and I think I've used this illustration before, but it's, it fits here, so I'm going to use it again. I, I heard about a preacher that had an old farmer that, that was a, a member of his church, and he was real faithful to come. He was there, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, all, all, all the stuff. But through time, he began to be less and less uh, regular in his attendance. And one day the preacher went out to see him, and, and they sat by the fire, and they talked a little bit. And the old preacher grabbed a, one of the little shovels from beside the fireplace and knocked out one of the embers away from the fire. And they sit there and just, just sit in silence for a little bit. After a while of sitting and listening to the, the fire pop and crackle, the, the preacher asked the old farmer, what happened, to that, what happened to that ember when it got pulled out from the rest of the coals? farmer said, well, it was off by itself. It began to cool. It lost its heat. It stopped glowing. The preacher said, exactly. With that, he got up and left. The next Sunday, the farmer was there. He said, as, he, as he's leaving, he shook the preacher's hand and said, Preacher, I, I thought about what you said, and I appreciate your fiery sermon. Because we're like that, we're like that ember. When we're off by ourselves, away from our, our church family, away from that support, away from the body of Christ, we're like that ember that gets off by itself and we begin to cool. That, that zeal, that fervor that we used to have begins to cool. That, that heat that we used to have cools. The, the light that we, that, that we used to, to, to just emanate, we're no longer the light of the world. But when we get together, when we're with the other coals, we're strengthened, we're encouraged. That heat's there, that, that fire's there, that, that light is there. That, that, fan, that, 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 that flame of faith is fanned. We need each other. And so, so today I want to challenge you to be a better friend. And you know what that looks like in your life. Maybe it means that you have somebody you need to call up and say, hey, you know what? This happened, and I, I dropped the ball. I had this going on. I was unthinking. I, you know, I meant to get you called. I meant to get you visited. It didn't happen. Whatever it is. Maybe for you that looks like you need to call somebody up and say, you know what? It's been a long time since we talked. Let's, let's get together and have a cup of coffee. Or if you got some sense, let's get together and have something besides coffee that tastes decent. Because <laughs> coffee's nasty. I'm sorry, it's, it's, but it is. They say that coffee's an acquired taste. If it tastes good, it doesn't have to be acquired. I'm just saying. If it tastes good, now I don't, you don't have to acquire a taste for chocolate. Amen. All right, there. I know I get an amen sometime. Anyway, I don't know why I went off on that, but... The point is, maybe you want to get together and have an ice cream. Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's sit down and have a meal. You need to reconnect. Maybe it means that you need to be faithful in, in church attendance or in, when you're here to, to, to contributing. Because we all need each other. We all gain and we all give in that, in that relationship with one another. 
two are better than one. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come and ask you to stand, ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just um, I want to encourage you to consider um, maybe you have some friend that not only you know would be there for you, maybe they have been there for you. Take this opportunity as 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 you pray to thank God for that person. To thank God for that person, maybe it's a, a group of people. They're there to support you, to lift you up when you fall comfort you in the trials and hardships of life. Maybe your prayer needs to be more along the lines of help me to be a better friend. Maybe your action needs to be reconnecting with somebody. Now, I've been talking specifically to Christians. Listen, the Bible talks about a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and that friend is Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying if, you, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you do it, I'm not saying that you'll never have troubles, but you have somebody that will get in trouble with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But more than that, when you do that, He will forgive your sin. If you will repent of your sin and you'll put your faith in Him, He will save you. If you've never done that, today is the day to do it. Heavenly Father, we thank You for friends and how much they enrich our lives. And God, I thank You for the friendship and the fellowship that we have here. And God, I pray that you'd help us to not only uh, enjoy the friendship, but help us to be good friends. Lord, forgive us for those times whenever we've messed things up with friends, loved ones, broken relationships, when we failed. Lord, help us to be sensitive to the needs of those around us. And God, if there's somebody who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would save them today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.